Japanese consumers love a really good solid brand story, not a fabricated one or one that's really common, something that's unique and authentic. It's very important to have your own story and your energy coming through the brand and Chinese consumers really, really love that. Hello and welcome to Marketing to Mums, the podcast, the show which helps marketers, business leaders and entrepreneurs sell more effectively to the world's most powerful consumer, mums. Each fortnight we bring you a deep diving interview with a marketing specialist from around the globe who can help you gain insights about this influential consumer. Let's hear from our host, Katrina McCarter. Hello listeners, it's your host Katrina McCarter and today on the show we have Catherine Savasio, the founder of Aroma Baby. Now Catherine has got a wealth of knowledge and experience selling into the Chinese market. So today what we talk about is she talks about the key behavioural differences in Chinese mothers and she helps identify some of the common mistakes brands make in selling to Chinese parents and she shares her tips on entering this growing opportunity. Some of the more specific things we cover off in the episode include how Aroma Baby business came about and Catherine's export journey. We also talk about quantifying the Chinese parenting market and what you need to know about marketing to Chinese mothers. Catherine talks about why your brand story is so critical to your success in China and she helps us understand the differences between T1, T2, T3 and T4 locations and explains why you need to market differently based on geographic location. Catherine also covers off some of the common mistakes made when marketing to Chinese mothers and we learn about what Chinese mothers really value. Catherine shares with us the role of Dago's in marketing your products to Chinese parents and what products or services are particularly attractive to Chinese mothers. We cover off the importance of influencer marketing in China and we also talk about selling to Chinese mothers living in Australia. Now, Catherine and I actually recorded this interview on a phone, so the sound quality isn't top-notch, but I will tell you that Catherine's content really is, and I do hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Oh, good morning, Katrina. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're delighted to have you on the show. Such a lovely introduction. (laughs) Well, listen, congratulations. You've had some incredible achievements so far. I've actually really been watching your journey since I launched my first business in the parenting space, which was back in 2011. And, and, you know, I can say you really have been a pioneer in the market in Australia and now China. You know, uh, recently I had the pleasure of actually seeing you or listening to you speak at a conference uh, earlier this year and you were sharing your knowledge and experience around exporting into the Chinese parenting market and that's something that I'm really keen to see if we can explore today. So I guess to get things started, I'd love you to share a little bit about how your business came about and your experience in selling into China. Of course. Um, look, it's one of those stories that you do hear of that um, mother motherhood is, you know, the, the seed that sort of sparks a lot of inventions and certainly in um, mum-run businesses and mine was no different. So although I had some background in developing product and natural was kind of like an emerging trend uh, close to 25 years ago, 
I actually got retrenched while I was pregnant with my first bubba, who's um, now 24 years old. And I thought, what on earth am I going to do? And I was still doing some product development for some retailers, but I knew that I wouldn't be able to continue that for much longer with baby soon to arrive. And then my, my whole focus seemed to switch to baby care, and I was wondering what was I going to use on my own child. So I guess really passionate about health and well-being, even as a teenager, I used to mix up uh, face masks and things like that using um, food from the fridge and cupboard. So I started to work on a skincare range for baby, just a basic sort of six product. And the more I got into it and the more I spoke to cosmetic chemists, the more I realized there were a lot of ingredients linked to irritation and there were a lot of chemists who didn't know anything about formulating these types of products. So I ended up having to do a lot of my own research and some of that highlighted some of these ingredients that we decided to avoid like uh, propylene glycol, paraben, synthetic vitamin E, which we, we found vitamin E in a natural form was far more effective, talc, sulfate, added colours, artificial fragrances, so many other things that consumers wouldn't know a lot about that we decided to leave them out based on what I had read in my research. And that's pretty much where I started. So you know, fast forward 24 years and here I am still crazily working away doing the same thing and absolutely loving it. <laughs> Fantastic and enjoying incredible success. I mean, I've really been watching uh, your move into, into China and I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Sure. Well, we started in China 10 years ago and our export experience, I suppose, started really early. So now it's close to 20 years ago and we started exporting to the Middle East and then to Hong Kong. Singapore and then South Korea and I think China was kind of a natural next step in terms of being so close obviously to the Hong Kong market and a lot of people traveling and having a look at what was available there and it actually came about from a personal need once again so it was a gentleman that had a biotech business in Shanghai and they were looking for products globally that would be safe enough to use on their own soon-to-be-born child and they settled on Aroma Baby. So that's how the initial contact came up. It wasn't as if we were specifically looking to export to China and you know we weren't actively engaging in the market at that time. But I think it's been a really interesting market. That distributor stayed with us for about seven years and just naturally had to go off and do some other things. We remained great friends. But it gave me some really good insights into the mother and baby industry by working with this company. And also, I was able through them to share my passion of education because they were quite involved with the hospitals and health sector, which is you know where my strengths are. So from that, we, we were in, they call them confinement centers. So it's, like, it's almost like a hotel where a mother goes with her newborn baby for the first 30 days. And uh, with the hospital, I guess, connections we had in Australia and the connections that my distributor had, it seemed like a perfect fit for us to sort of start educating in, in those facilities. Then I, I guess, you know, the natural next thing was for retailers to stock the products and that's what happened. Spent a lot of time doing workshops on teaching baby massage and training staff that were running these centres. And here we are today, I guess 10 years later, in the last couple of years, the China market has, has just been, you know, phenomenal kind of opportunity for particularly Australian businesses and also particularly in that mother and baby category with 
infant milk powder formula a perfect example? Oh, is it ever? And I, I, I agree with you. I, I think I think what we see is like the Chinese market is becoming that big focus for so many brands from, I guess, yes, definitely in Australia, but I really see that from right around the world. And, you know, with population yeah. of more than three times the, the US, it, it kind of is, is made to be the new frontier for growth. But I imagine and I believe that it really requires a very different approach by marketers who, who are wanting to move into this, into this market. If there's someone who's listening today who is actually considering looking at the Chinese market, what are a few things that they really need to understand about selling to Chinese mums? Look, uh, there's a couple of things that I would highlight and I guess, you know, the first one is China doesn't happen overnight. It's not a quick thing. And I was really interested to hear our uh, trade minister recently at an event in Melbourne talking about, you know, how it could take two years, seven years, 10 years, 15, how they've had big organisations launch in China and and not do well and then relaunch, you know, a decade later. So I felt like it, it wasn't just me that's sort of taking so long to get some traction. Despite there being some success, it's success on a different scale. And uh, China's a very, very big market. So I guess, you know, the first thing is that it doesn't happen quickly. You need to have patience and you need to be able to sustain marketing and investigating uh, China for quite a number of years before you expect any return. The other thing is that Chinese consumers, they're often price-driven and not particularly brand-loyal. They've got access to products from all over the world. So it's important to understand your own core values and and, and what's at the essence of your brand? So how are you going to stand out? How's your brand going to stand out in a market that is saturated with, you know, key brands and large organisations from, from all over the globe also trying to get a piece of the, the China pie? Chinese consumers also love a really good solid brand story, not a fabricated one or one that's really common, but something that's unique and authentic. So I guess if you're thinking of writing off the story of another well-known brand that may or may not be in China... It's, it's really about developing something that's very unique to you. It doesn't need to be replicating something else. I think it's very important to have your own story and your, your own essence and your own energy kind of coming through the brand and Chinese consumers really, really love that. Going over to China, I mean, you find that the markets differ between the provinces. So you might find that, you know, in the south it's different to the north. Climate's different, consumer buying is different, their needs are different. You've got tier one cities like Beijing and Shanghai that are, you know, really sought after and really difficult to get in. And then you've got other smaller cities which are, by comparison, not that small, like tier two, three and even four cities we call them. And they tend to shop more online, so they could be good entry points for a small business maybe starting out in China. Before we continue with the podcast episode, I want to tell you about our podcast sponsor, Cooperate. Cooperate is a powerful marketing technology platform that allows marketers to visualize your brand's customer journey, deliver great content at each stage of that journey, and see how it all performs, all managed from one centralized location. Cooperate has been built by marketers for marketers. I've actually had the opportunity to see the platform in action and I genuinely think it's worth taking a look at if you're a marketer managing large brands which want to attract more mums. Now let's head back to the podcast. 
to understand a little bit about some of the hurdles that you experienced in selling into China and, and targeting Chinese mums that perhaps other brands who might be listening could, could learn from? Yeah, I think um, being consistent is really important. So perhaps being consistent with your positioning in your local market, which is here. And um, we have seen cases where brands that are selling in discount chemists and supermarkets here bump up their prices and try and, you know, appeal to that sort of mid-level consumer who is looking at a more premium price. And all they have to do is go online and they can see that you're selling for $7 in a supermarket. So they're not going to pay 17 Or if you discount it for 10 they still know that they're paying more than what they would be if they were here. So I think really being authentic and honest in, in your approach to the Chinese market. And I've also seen, you know, people trying to be, you know, maybe something that isn't really what they're doing back here. So for us, we're a premium brand here. We're a premium brand in China. And sometimes buyers will say to us, oh, but we can get A, B and C much less. What's the difference between yours? And because we've got that really solid history and that very authentic pioneering story, and I realise not everybody can be a pioneer, but they've got to find what they can to really stand out in the marketplace. But you, you can't be something here and then expect to be something different in, in a market like China where they are connected to their to their technology and they'll look it up on, on their phones in an instant. The other thing is probably people are going over there and not even having their IP secured. So they don't have their domain name, they don't have Chinese names, they may not have a website secured, they may not have a trademark secured. So all of those sorts of things are, will prohibit them or restrict them from entering the market and doing well because they're all hurdles that you need to overcome. So I, I guess, you know, they're the sorts of things that we've seen with smaller businesses looking at China and, and probably not doing a lot of homework. Yeah, it sounds like it's really important to have, uh, to have a really well thought out strategy is what I'm hearing from you. Listen, one of the things we know that Chinese parents place, you know, really high value on natural products and, and that's been um, fantastic for you, I guess, and really contributed to your amazing success with Aroma Baby. What are some of the other factors that Chinese mothers value? Well, I think you've seen it in the infant formula sector where companies just try and private label a brand and expect to be able to make a million dollars overnight because it's a hot sector. But that's not the case. I mean, they, they really need to have a strong history here. Chinese mums look for uniqueness, sure, but they also want safety and they want to know these products have some historical kind of experience in Australia and that they are available in Australian stores. It's not just a, a brand that's been created, if you like, for export or for China in particular. They're often looking for the next big thing, sure. But I think that, you know, having that long heritage and the history, efficacy if it's skincare like ours, they're, they're really vital to having success in the, the mother and baby category because this is not like putting a perfume on or a cream on a, a lady's skin. This is about infant care and a lot of babies do get irritations and eczema and that sort of thing within their first few months of life. And this is a big concern for Chinese mums just like it is here. Yeah, absolutely. I was one of those kids. And, and still have issues with it, with it now. One of the things is that there seems to be so many options if you're looking at selling into Chinese mothers. Are you able to explain to some of our listeners who might be pretty early on in their journey what some of the channels are? I mean, we hear a lot about Taobao and we hear a lot yeah. about Tmall and Daigu. How can these be used to actually sell their products? Sure. Well, 
Taubo is actually a platform owned by Tmall, and that's an Alibaba company. So Alibaba is headed by Jack Ma, a very inspirational entrepreneur who, who really pioneered this space. So they have a lot of ownership across digital and e-commerce. So certainly Tmall requires you know, a sizable investment to have a store and you'll find a lot of smaller businesses wouldn't do that because you then need to invest in marketing in order to stand out on that platform and, and sell product. So sometimes you'll find they might look for a smaller uh, entry buyer, so it might be somebody who owns a shop on Taubo. And Taubo can even be individual sellers that have opened up their own store. So that could be a good way to test the water. Don't go sure, they are uh, what's known as personal shoppers and they're predominantly university students that are Chinese living here and studying here and they're just really purchasing what's uh, in demand for family and friends back in China. But it's um, developed into a little bit of a business and some of these Daigo are actually making quite a bit of their money <laughs> by purchasing on behalf of. So again, look, they're, they're probably more price-driven, so it might be better for something that's in a discount store or a pharmacy that is uh, well-known for discounting, which is where a lot of the Daigo shop themselves, or, you know, a supermarket brand perhaps alongside, you know, some of these very well-known infant formula brands. But for a newer brand, you really need to build up some loyalty and some brand awareness or Daigo aren't going to want it because there's no demand coming from China and you won't be able to sell your products once you get them into stores on Taobo. So I think, again, it goes back to investing in your brand as you would anywhere else. You, you set it up, you develop it, you work on marketing, education, whatever it is that makes you stand out, and you develop some retail points in Australia or, or online. But I think those sorts of things are uh, just the same in China as they are with Australian businesses being successful. For us, we, we actually didn't even do uh, e-commerce because those things weren't really uh, available to us back 10 or 11 years ago. We chose to do the traditional way, which is, they call it general trade, where we had to actually register products through their CFDA. And that is a rigorous, expensive and time-consuming process for each product. And you'll find in China the regulations do change quite a lot. So it's very difficult to navigate registering products. I think smaller brands are well advised to engage agencies and experts that actually can help them sort of push through some of those barriers. Fantastic. That is some really fantastic insights. I really appreciate you sharing those with us, Catherine. Needing an energetic, dynamic speaker at your next conference or event? Katrina McCarter, your host of Marketing to Mums, the podcast, speaks around the globe on all aspects related to marketing effectively to mums. You can download her speaker kit at katrinamccarter.com or contact her directly on LinkedIn via her profile, Katrina McCarter. Are some businesses more suited to selling to Chinese mums than others? Uh, and could you share with us, you know, what kinds of products and services have you observed that Chinese mums are, are actually looking for? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess it's not just in the personal care space. I think there's personal care from all over the world, uh, not just ours trying to get on shelves over there and, and on some of these online stores. 
but they're also looking for products that have a point of difference, that have a health benefit. You know, they have concerns with pollution, wanting to improve health and well-being, and you know, baby care category certainly is one of those. But but other areas of health and well-being, healthy snacking, for example, health foods and beverages. Uh, anything that's got like a really novel ingredient but still ha- comes with its either history or some evidence of safety. I think they really want to make sure that they're getting, getting innovative products but also getting products which are good for you and have some proven benefits and some record of safety back here in Australia. So it's not just, um, you know, the baby care category. Certainly we see honey, we see wine. Some of the Australian designers are having some success in China and personal care in, in adult sort of sectors, although, you know, we are competing with really hot markets like Korea in that beauty space as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to change tact a little bit and ask you a little bit about influencer marketing because I know it's heavily used in China, particularly to target mums. And I'd be really curious to understand your experience in working with influencers and if you've got any advice that you'd give brands that are considering using influencer marketing as part of their move into into China? Mm. Again, I think for us, we've, we've been more traditional. I'm probably a bit of a, an influencer myself and certainly mm. in the business space and, and I'm, on, I'm on a platform here for that. So we would sort of more be leveraging off my expertise and my media profile. So we haven't really engaged KOLs in a paid sort of role, but certainly a lot of Australian brands have. And I think... Chinese consumers, especially mums, they know that KOLs are paid to say things. There's not a lot of loyalty. It's whoever will pay will get the post or or the um, live stream. So again, you need to be sh- you need to be sure that that is in line with your brand. Uh, if you're live streaming and using KOLs, maybe it's more appealing to the mums that are at home. And if you've got a premium brand, perhaps that's not the right target audience for you because they might be looking at, um, you know, that mass market product and they're really focused on having a good price and they'll be on their phones with lots of time to research. And if your product's like widely available in Australia in all those, you know, sort of the, the discount chemists and supermarkets, they'll be able to find it in a lot of different uh, locations and they'll be able to check prices and that can be detrimental to, to your brand. So I would be saying again, just make sure that your positioning here matches what your marketing objective is for China and you may not need live streaming or KOL. If you are going to do that, perhaps again use an agency that is reputable and has a really good way of matching brands with top KOL at a price that you can afford and then you can spread your budget out and give it a bit of a test run and see what works for you and then mix it up and change it. And if it doesn't work, you can try some other forms of marketing, including marketing to a local Chinese community, which is a huge amount of people here. Actually, that's something that I'm really keen to tap into. I really wanted to get your opinion on selling to Chinese mothers here in Australia before actually going over and selling in China. I mean, we heard just a little uh, a little while ago from you about Digos, and I read a report recently by Nielsen that there are some 100,000 to 200,000 estimated Digos here operating in Australia alone. Do you believe mm. it's a successful strategy to um, to test the waters by selling? to Chinese mothers here in Australia first before going into China or would you see that as part of an integrated strategy as part of your move uh, definitely, into Yes, definitely as, as the latter, as part yeah. of an integrated strategy. In fact, I had a meeting here in Melbourne 
uh, with a couple of Chinese people yesterday and they were talking about just that, that perhaps entering using Daigo only or e-commerce only, as it has been for us, is not uh, a good strategy to use that on its own that because they do switch from brand to brand and a lot of the Daigo market here is, is captured by, uh, you know, several organisations that charge brands to market through their own networks of Daigo. So I think it's certainly a, you need a multi-channel approach and uh, when I'm in China, I find that the retail is still the strongest way and, and although it's the most expensive and the most difficult way to get your products into China, it's still the, the most robust way of engaging with consumers and building that trust and that loyalty. Um, you get the emotional connection, which is vital with a mother and baby product, for example. It may not be as critical with you know other sorts of personal care and other categories, but with my, my category it is. So having, you know, Daigo and, and perhaps some sort of e-commerce as part of an overall strategy together with retail would be my suggestion, but that doesn't work for everybody. So I guess, you know, you've got to do what's within your budget and, you know, perhaps take some of the other tips that I've mentioned and um, just consider what within your budget and what you really want out of it. If it's just about making some quick money, then, you know, have a go, but it's generally isn't sustainable and that generally you do need to take those longer term views to sustain a really good solid Australian brand in a market as big as China. Yeah, fantastic. Now, Catherine, I understand that you're now mentoring and advising other brands moving into China. If our listeners are wanting to get more advice and wanting to tap into your expertise, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, look, I, I do mentoring on general small business and exporting and, and growth and that kind of thing because you find that some people want to export before they've even secured their IP here, let alone in a market like China. So I always try and encourage them to, to tackle a smaller market like Singapore or Hong Kong or Dubai before they tackle something as large as China. There's, there's more to the world than China. There's more to export opportunity than China. So um, you've got to find what's right for you. But part, part of you know, what I do in, in mentoring is talk about, you know, I guess, what suits their needs best and perhaps just you know, go through some things that they might not have thought of, which sometimes you think it's common sense, but it's not always. So for me, I, I do some business influencing, looking through the right fit, and I do mentoring through top experts, and then um, we have some other you know, media opportunities and things like that that, that do come direct, just info at aromababy.com. Fantastic. Well, for our listeners, I'll make sure that all of those contact details go into the show notes so that if you're wanting to engage with Catherine, that you can get in contact with her. Catherine, I just wanted to say it's been fascinating hearing about your success of Aroma Baby and really having a good look into the Chinese market. And I really thank you for sharing your expertise with our listeners today and thank you for being part of Marketing to Mums, the podcast. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Katrina. All right. Thank you. I love the depth of knowledge and expertise Catherine shared with us in this episode. China really does represent a very attractive opportunity for many brands, but as Catherine has shared, it requires a very different strategy. I hope you got some useful takeaways you can consider for your brand. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Marketing to Mums, the podcast the show which helps you drive sales and profit in your organization by developing a deeper understanding of the world's most powerful consumer. 
mums. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review and tell us what your key takeaway was or who your favorite guest was and why. If you would like to get the show notes from today's episode or any of the links mentioned, all you need to do is head to marketingtomums.com.au forward slash podcast. Don't forget to sign up to receive an email to let you know when the next episode is released. Thanks for listening.